Hey, you guys, today's episode of Rob's Observations, we are jumping headfirst into a future Marvel uh, villain, superstar, big bad that you cannot avoid because he has been cast. They are um, putting him uh, in a featured role in the third Ant-Man film, which is, I believe is called Quantumania. He is uh, going to be played by one of the hottest actors in Hollywood. So so this is the perfect day to combine my bring on the bad guys obsession uh, that began with our Doctor Doom episode a while back and, and go pile drive straight into Kang the Conqueror. Kang the Conqueror, one of my all-time favorite villains, Marvel, DC, anywhere. He is as complicated a villain as you will find in either Marvel or the DC Universe or Image Comics or anywhere else you're going to look. Uh, he is an amazing, fantastic visual. He is, uh, he, he is powerful, he is ruthless, and he has uh, obviously a killer, killer name in Kang the Conqueror. The reason we are going to dwell so much on Kang the Conqueror today is because there's a lot to unpack. I am going to tell you what I believe is the, the kind of the pratfalls the dangers of this character, as well as the the strengths and why he has always been one of my most uh, favorite characters. I will buy anything Kang the Conqueror appears in, and in, in in fact, one of my favorite Kang the Conqueror appearances is in a novel written by David Michelinie, who did a multi-year run on the Avengers, acclaimed critical run on Iron Man, and then became the bridge of the 80s to the 90s with his amazing Spider-Man run that included Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Mark Bagley, and gave you Venom, Carnage, and all of these amazing stories that you completely dig and love. But David really uh, hit hard in, in the late 70s, early 80s, and he was given one of these novels when Marvel was doing these bantam uh, trade novels that were everywhere in, in bookstores, when, when bookstores were much more uh, commonplace growing up in the kind of the era of the, the, the mall, the mall era of the late 70s, early 80s, whether it was uh, Crown Books or whatever bookseller chain, uh, Marvel made sure that these paperbacks that they had were always front and center. They did at least 15 of them, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Hulk, uh, the Avengers was an early one. I grabbed it. I read it. It prominently, it, it Kang is the bad guy, and it is one of my favorite uh, stories they have ever done because it was the most creative. I, I, I would, I would, I would adapt this thing tomorrow if I was running Marvel Comics because it is such a great source of uh, uh, material for for an Avengers conflict with again what I believe is one of their top top three or four villains. The Avengers has a great. Rogues Gallery. Ultron was, in my youth, one of my absolute favorites just for how ruthless and unbeatable he was. And we've covered him terrorizing the Avengers several times. And and, and mainly, I've spoken of him recently as being uh, the, 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 really the example of when they powered Scarlet Witch up to the fact that they she snapped him. She broke him. And again, adamantium could not be broken. Wolverine's claws are adamantium. We're familiar with the X-Men and how the the adamantium claws is the most durable substance, cannot be broken, shattered. Uh, vibranium is what they've adapted uh, Captain America's shield as, which is kind of a 
sister component to adamantium, these unbreakable metals, alloys. And of course, Ultron is head to toe adamantium, which is why very deliberately when you see Thor's hammer, Iron Man's blasts, you know, Wonder Man's fists all trying to uh, pummel simultaneously Ultron, he could not, he just laughed because he knew he had an indestructible shell. Scarlet Witch comes along, she cracks it. That was one of my biggest appeals to Ultron. And also he had these weird daddy issues because he was created by Hank Pym. Hank Pym, Henry Pym, Dr. Henry Pym, we're going to get to him. He's very important in, in, in the grand scheme of this given that he has all of the ties. He is the original Ant-Man. Uh, Ant-Man, when I was growing up, assumed four different identities. Ant-Man, Yellow Jacket, Giant Man, and Goliath. Hank Pym, Henry Pym, was uh, always changing his outfits, his uh, identity, his costumes to go along with his, you know, uh, uh, technological breakthroughs. When he became Yellow Jacket, it was a more advanced version of Ant-Man. But we didn't see a movie called Yellow Jacket. We saw a movie called Ant-Man. Hank Pym, Henry Pym, is played by Michael Douglas. Ultron was originally created by Hank Pym, but they've shifted that in the MCU, and now Ultron's daddy was uh, Tony Stark and Stark's technology. But Hank Pym, Ant-Man, have direct ties, as Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd have shared uh, the, the Ant-Man history in the Marvel Universe. And again, as we've said, Jonathan Majors has been cast to portray Kang. So the, the, the I get to talk about one of my favorite comic book characters, his comic book history... My favorite Kang stories. I get to tell you where there's Kang is super tricky. And the reason I bring up Hank Pym is we don't know what they're going to do with Kang. They may de-emphasize some of his history when they look to adapt him in the same way they did Hank Pym. Hank Pym has a much greater role in the M, the Marvel Universe, publishing universe, the Marvel canon that I acknowledge as canon, which is the comic books. He has a much bigger role there than he has in the films by by casting him as Michael Douglas, they have given him this huge pedigree because Michael Douglas is such an accomplished actor and, uh, and and crosses so many generations in terms of his appeal. Michael Douglas was a TV actor when I was growing up. He was on the streets of San Francisco. He was a detective every week. He was uh, streets of San Francisco on Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. was a big blockbuster for ABC. And then when his movie role started taking place, he left the show. Ironically, Richard Hatch, who would go on, go on to be Apollo on Battlestar Galactica, was his replacement until they canceled Streets of San Francisco. Michael Douglas had so much appeal that when he left, it struggled to hold on because obviously people wanted to see Michael Douglas in that role. He then goes on his three, four decade tear as a massive movie star. And now, as he landed in the first Ant-Man movie with this identity of Hank Pym, we, as hardcore Marvel, Marvel publishing fans, were asked to immediately accept that, well, he's not going to be as important as he was in the Marvel Universe uh, as yet. And maybe this changes. Again, he certainly did not create the Mar one of Marvel's, one of the Avengers' top foes in Ultron. They have completely scrubbed that. And, and by association, Vision. Hank Pym was responsible for the Vision, and for Ultron, and again, there was a guy who was lamenting on social media to me this last week why the Simon Williams slash Wonder Man persona, uh, which was downloaded in the comics to 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 activate and be act as Vision's brainwaves, someone was you know bemoaning that that that, that Simon Williams needs to appear on WandaVision, and, and this just isn't right. And I said, look, you're probably not going to get that because they've shifted. 
Simon Williams has ties to Hank Pym, Henry Pym, Dr. Pym. That's P-Y-M, Dr. Pym. Um, and, 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 and they've removed that in, in, in the world that you're watching, which is the film universe, which obviously the WandaVision is an extension of. So by removing Hank Pym, attaching him to Stark, we've already kind of seen this origin. It had no Simon Williams Wonder Man component, which again, if you go into the comic books, they are simpatico. Vision, Simon Williams, Wonder Man seems complicated. And if you think this seems complicated, I'm just warming up. Kang the Conqueror is, is what we're here to talk about. I'm giving you a little bit of the prefaces along with Hank Pym. But Kang is coming in an Ant-Man movie, which presumably has Michael Douglas back as Hank Pym. And so perhaps some of all of that early Avengers history will be tapped into. But really, there's no way. I don't. I, I, I will speculate a little from time to time. I try not to speculate a lot because it's just it's rabbit holes that are exhaustive that you can just continue to find new rabbit holes. We know for a fact Jonathan Majors will be Kang the Conqueror. If they are bringing Kang the Conqueror in, it is for one purpose. It is the only purpose that he has ever ever served in the comic books. There is no other purpose. If he is coming in, he is a time lord. He is coming in to somehow subvert time, control time, or as is inherent in his actual name, conquer time. He is a time lord. Kang the Conqueror, every time he has shown up in the Avengers, dating back to his first appearance in, I'm, I'm going I'm to, I believe it's Avengers, Number, I believe it's Avengers number eight is when Kang the Conqueror first appeared in comic books and he appeared in order to subvert and to conquer time and he tangled with the Avengers. 1964 Avengers 8, I'm right on the money here. The uh, the subsequent appearances by him would uh, become even more... Uh, uh, complicated as he was entangled with other characters, which we're going to wait till the end. We're not going to get to Kang's multiple identities. Let's deal with Kang the Conqueror and what he does. He is a Time Lord. He is always attempting to conquer the timelines or the multiple timelines. He has massive ambitions, much along the lines of the great Marvel foes. That Doctor Doom episode that I poured over, I gave you three different aspects of Doctor Doom. He is a sorcerer on par with Doctor Strange. He is a scientist on par with Tony Stark in the Marvel Universe. Reed Richards is smarter than Tony Stark, so Doctor Doom only views Reed Richards as his equal. Therefore, when they do introduce Reed Richards and they, they yes, absolutely reintroduce Doctor Doom on film in the MCU rather than as a Fox property, they will absolutely establish him as this genius level, okay? So you've got the sorcerer, the Supermind, the super inventor scientist. And then the third component of Dr. Doom is he is a monarch of a nation, which gives him political power, which gives him sovereignty. Okay. Kang the Conqueror is, is a time traveler and he conquers in, in different uh, worlds. I've, I've read stories where he conquered the year, you know, 3,800. He, he, uh, he, he conquered the 40th century. Um, the, 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 you know, the 30th century, the 40th century, the, the 32nd century, he has been the conqueror of all these things. He always finds an element that leads him back to the Avengers because they are key in um, either opposing him or, 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 or a goal that he has to overcome in order to impress his loves that spurn him. Kang is often inspired 
by by Forbidden Love. It's Ravona, R-A-V-O-N-N-A, in the, his, his initial appearances. And later, and this is what was going on when I came into comics, in 1974, they were in the midst of the Celestial Madonna. Check that out. Before I knew of Madonna, the pop star, almost a decade earlier, I knew the Celestial Madonna. It was an epic uh, uh, tale that spanned about two years in the Marvel comics. It involved Immortus, who we're going to get to, Ramatut, who is an Egyptian uh, villain introduced early on in, in the Fantastic Four. And they're going to connect. And then we're going to go uh, actually touch on some Doctor Doom because Doctor Doom is involved with Kang the Conqueror. I mean, this is this is the most complicated character. I think it's the most complicated villain Marvel has. There is no way when you leave this, you'll be like, I'm not sure there's a more complicated villain. I just don't believe that is even possible. Rama Tut appeared in the Fantastic Four one year prior to Kang the Conqueror appearing in Avengers. Rama Tut was in the Fantastic Four in Fantastic Four number 19, which was October 1963. Kang the Conqueror appears in September 1964. And that's where the crazy begins. But Kang the Conqueror, when he would appear and attack the Avengers, they were always either an obstacle in his path or, more importantly, something of of their timeline had been compromised that directly threatened him. Now, before we get into more of his um, of Kang the Conqueror and, and, and his abilities and his uh, motivations, he is a brilliant visual. Let's get back to what, maybe why is he my favorite? He has a blue face with these purple uh, markings on it, stripes that go up and down, lines that go up and down his face. He wears this cool purple helmet to go to it with his his blue face. He has a uh, he has a a, a a a breastplate, a purple breastplate. He wears these kind of loose green kind of gowns, uh, and, and not gown robes, uh, loose loose kind of robe like shirts. That then uh, he has giant hip purple boots pulled over. If this sounds awful to you, because I can see describing it, purple, blue, and green. Visually, it is as striking as anything you can imagine. He is, especially when they would draw giant faces of his cackling, because he is absolutely a madman. Somewhere between, I, I kid you not, rereading all these Kang, Kang comics, uh, his personality is somewhat part Deadpool, uh, pre predating Deadpool, the, 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 this crazy, maniacal way that he speaks and and talks of himself in, 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 in the third person, uh, and also maybe a little bit of the Joker, but his ambitions are cosmic and are as big as anything that Doctor Doom has ever attempted when Doctor Doom has attempted to, like, say, steal the power of Galactus via kidnapping Silver Surfer and siphoning the cosmic powers, okay? So he is amazing looking when he uh, often, because he's from the future, he's yelling at the Avengers via giant wall room monitors head to toe. So you've got Thor, Iron Man, you know, Wonder Man, and Scarlet Witch as these tiny figures react in this giant blue face with these purple markings again in this purple kind of circular helmet. He looks like no other character. The thing about Jack Kirby, come on, man. Ramatut looks nothing like King the Conqueror, looks nothing like Mole Man, looks nothing like Doctor Doom, looks um, looks looks nothing like Galactus. These amazing visuals. Kang is extremely unique, speaking more to Jack Kirby's incredible design and costume sense. I, I just, I'm floored by it. It is signature Kirby in a way that I can't even quite um, communicate in that it's it's all over the place. 
It shouldn't exi- It shouldn't come together and mash together with the, the baggy kind of uh, robes and sleeves. And then these hip boots that also have kind of pinstripes on them. And this bucket. I mean, his helmet is almost like it's circular in, in, a, in like an underwater deep sea diving helmet that you put over yourself. And, and then they, they fasten down, you know, when you're going to the bottom of the ocean. But that's purple and his face is blue. And when he laughs and cackles, it's, it's, it's just a great visual. And all of these tremendous covers that he, he is featured on uh, just really impact you with what a striking, striking visual that he is. So, so he is just a great looking, awesome, amazing visual. And that will always grab my attention. And the fact that he has more than often brought the Avengers completely to their knees is, is um, reason enough to, to engage in him. And, and, and trust me, they have gone all sorts of, all sorts of different places with Kang the Conqueror in regards to his ambitions and, and his origins. And like I said, first we need to focus on Kang and what he represents. When he uh, first encounters the Avengers, it is it is to impress Ravona, okay, the 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 love of his life who is who has spurned him, and he believes that uh, you know he will use the Avengers in an effort to impress Ravona. But guys, I think you can you can you can draw your own conclusion that that doesn't happen, and it causes him to go even crazier later on. He, uh, he, he, he decides to enter into a cosmic chess match with one of the uh, uh, titans of the Marvel Universe, Grandmaster, which you've seen played by Jeff Goldblum in Thor Ragnarok. And the other titans, uh, the Collector, these, these other, uh, they have, they have um, ties, tethers, connections to Thanos. So Kang had this cosmic chess mate, uh, chess chess game with Grandmaster in which he would, uh, you know, if he wins, he would be given the power over death because the Grandmaster could grant that to him. But he, uh, he, he was foiled in that attempt as well. These were great stories where he was uh, on a grand scale trying to bring the Avengers from the, 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 their, to their knees. He would always identify as a man who originated in the 30th century. And he has come back in time to uh, either destroy the Avengers or to use them to uh, to 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 you know fulfill his means, fulfill his crazy cosmic ambitions in the Celestial Madonna, where I think he really, in the modern day, achieved A-list status. Uh, he was after a woman that they introduced named Mantis. She had the uh, she has the moniker, the she has the 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 title of Celestial Madonna because she is supposed to give birth to some you know cosmic child, and Kang, in this storyline, is trying to uh, gain access to Mantis. At the same time, a, another version of him teams with the Avengers and able to defeat himself. So it, it's really the the great uh, tenets of time travel. And as a kid, he was my first big time traveling bad guy that I encountered. And uh, so much so that when he was still trying to, because the Celestial Madonna pursuit does not end, he always makes his escape and returns later. And in this case, only about a year later, in 1975, did he return to make this one final run at gaining access to Mantis so that they he could be, um, 
you know, in control of her special cosmic child. And this is by far something that I hope they follow up on. It is my favorite, one of my absolute favorite Avengers stories uh, in, 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 a, in a period where the Avengers were Marvel's top book, in my opinion. What, what, what stopped the Avengers from being Marvel's top book is the royalties that were being offered on the X-Men and all of the A-list uh, talent then moved to the X-Books. And the Avengers suffered terribly as none of the big names worked on the Avengers for like the next 15, almost 20 years. X-Men was where if you had talent, if you could make your mark, if you could um, move the needle, you were going to the X-Men books and the X-Men family of books. But in the 70s, where Kang is really comes into his own with, I mean, literally from 74 to 77, uh, Kang the Conqueror is a huge presence, always kind of behind the scenes, uh, manipulating the Avengers. And again, he has no direct ties to them. He actually has more ties to the Fantastic Four, which expands his ties to the Marvel Universe at large, which may be a reason we haven't seen him yet and maybe the reason that he's coming in the form of, again, Jonathan Majors. I, I I do believe that Feige will have him looking blue with these purple this purple helmet or, or a facsimile thereof. Somehow, even if they... They do to Kang what they've done to Vision, which which is kind of uh, you know really up the circuitry aspect of his face, making him look more you know uh, synthetic and, and 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 circuitry that he is wearing on the outside. Whereas in the comics, he's just got a red face. He doesn't have all those wires and those intricate circuits. He's just he he, he he's simplified in the comics, but to um, I, I I guess to make him more appealing in a visual uh, live action visual sense. They add these extra elements. I Whatever they do to Jonathan Majors to transform him to Kang the Conqueror, I am hoping that the blue face and the purple helmet and that th- this this color scheme is still adhered to. The weird thing with the Jonathan Majors is I'm, I, 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 I wonder if he's going to play this maniacal uh, figure. Jonathan Majors, by the way, is a ridiculously talented actor. In the last year, he hit big time in, in the mainstream... Uh, it, 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 he he hit it in the mainstream by by appearing in Spike Lee's big Netflix epic *The Five Bloods*, this killer, uh, I, I'll say Vietnam war heist pick, of which he is a crucial character. It's got Delroy Lindo. It has the um, late Chadwick Boseman. Spike Lee directed it. Jonathan Majors is a huge part of *The Five Bloods*. D A five letter five bloods look it up watch it i loved it it, it it's kind of a, a a point of contention with me and my friends not everyone loved it but i i it's 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 the whole thing to me it's got the great writing the great character intricacies it's got some mystery and then it explodes in some great violent action as only spike lee can deliver it but jonathan majors is is fantastic in this he also uh you know blew up and you you most likely saw him uh, as the lead of uh, HBO's uh, Lovecraft County, which which ran this last fall, late summer, early fall, and Lovecraft, Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, not Lovecraft County, Lovecraft Country, he was fantastic. And again, great, charismatic, terrific actor, um, wonderful range, physically imposing, I mean, I think he is a, a perfect choice for Kang. I'm, I'm really interested if they go into this madman uh, aspect of him where he, again, it, there's there's a maniacal sense to the way he presents himself. You're asking, why is he so powerful? We'll, 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 get, we'll, we'll cut right now to Kang's superpowers, of which he has none, okay? Here's, here's the kicker. Kang, 
much the same as Tony Stark or Hank Pym does not have any superpowers of his own. He has created his own technology that that gives him all of these different capabilities. What is the most commonplace weapon that he uses against everyone is his force shields. His force fields, force shields are like, again, with Ultron, the hammer, the hexes, the Iron Man blast. They cannot seem to penetrate when he turns that force shield on, um, of which he can punch through, but you can't reach in and get him. It's very clever in its in its um, conceit, but he has teleportation platforms. He has, you know, laser weapons. In, in some instances, he commands entire armies, okay? Uh but he has no physical like superpowers, no super no superhuman abilities. He's just an extraordinary mind, a genius, uh, obviously a historical uh, scholar, and he has a mastery of all of this futuristic technology which he uses as weapons. So when he shows up, he always has toys that are greater than the toys that are being pitted against him, giving him a mastery. So he'll stand on his platform, surrounded by his shield, barking commands to the Avengers, making them, you know, chase him through time. And in fact, again, some of the things that he's affected, there's a famous Hulk story that Kang the Conqueror appeared in where Hulk um, takes, where where Kang transports Hulk back in time to prevent the death of, of, of Bruce Banner's father. Because if Bruce Banner's father dies, then the Hulk doesn't come to be. And if the Hulk doesn't come to be, the Hulk, then the Avengers aren't formed in the way that Kang knows them. And Kang needs the Avengers to be formed specifically as he has encountered them. Otherwise, his he does not come to power. So that was a great standalone issue of the Incredible Hulk. And it, in, it involved uh, Phantom Eagle, which is a pilot, a, 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 a uh, World War uh pilot and and uh and it's 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 just fun story it's one of those the hulk has to prevent has to fight phantom eagle to con to 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 keep his father alive because if his father alives then kang's power will cease to be so it's a great terminator type time travel stories and with and with kang the conqueror the thing that i've always dug is his time travel you know prowess and 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 all of the different threats that he presents well in this sequel to the celestial madonna story with madonna that ran through two annuals a giant size issue i mean marvel committed to this and the other reason i love these stories so much and one of the reasons that it is not nostalgia that i love the 70s and the 80s i'm going to go to this point one more time before we lean in hard to this sequel to the celestial madonna story which unlocks all sorts of crazy um aspects that I am truly hoping to one day see uh, see adapted further because this would be a kick to see these come to life. But before I go there, remember, this stuff, the work that is produced by these guys in the 70s, Dave Cockrum, George Perez, John Byrne, Frank Miller, the names I've, you've heard me say time and again who are major influences on my work, major influences on my peer group's work. These guys are first ballot Hall of Fame guys in comics. The works that they that they produced are the works we're seeing adapted. Why are they being adapted? Because they are the cream of the crop. They are the top. Now, as Marvel does more and expands itself and has to do a TV show a week, 52 episodes, maybe a week, it's like it seems like we're getting one Marvel show a week like through their year now, so 52 episodes of Marvel content. They're going to they're going to pick at all the bones. But the stuff that they launched has Jim Starlin, George Perez, John Byrne, you know, uh, all of the greats, Dave Cockrum, 
all of this stuff. Right now, WandaVision has Steve Englehart and John Byrne. They are the the bedrock uh, of, of everything that they're throwing at you. Obviously, Stan and Jack, Roy Thomas with, with the vision. But then when we get into some of these storylines, Agatha Harkness, the stuff that I went over with you in my bonus episode, that these guys, these 70s writers, man, it was, it was no holds barred. They were doing the most avant-garde stuff. Peak TV was 30 years, 40 years away. The, the, the comic books, I've said this again, the comic books are better. Just like, oh, the book is better. The comic books are better. Steve Englehart, he authors this sequel to both the original Celestial Madonna and this sequel, which found Thor. So you got the Thunder God along with Moon Dragon, who is a celestial being. She was awesome, cre- creepy, and cool. They are having to travel to the wild, wild west. Why are they traveling to the wild, wild west? Because Kang has escaped through the timeline. He has he has escaped, and he uh, and 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 the Avengers must find him before he is able to enact his new latest plan and kind of complete this this. Uh, this takeover of the celestial Madonna, this, 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 you know, he wants to, he wants to have Mantis and if he can't, he'll destroy everything. Well, Thor and Moondragon team with a man named Immortus, who is also part of the old school Marvel Fantastic Four Avengers uh, introduced in the Stan and Jack run. They are after Immortus says we have to prevent him from this final plan. So Immortus, who is a time traveler himself, great name, Immortus, grabs Thor and Moondragon and they chase Kang through this time portal. And this is covered in Avengers 141, which this is the other side of the story that in my very first podcast, my very first podcast is almost entirely dedicated to Avengers 141 and beyond because that is where I came to know of the Squadron Supreme, the Justice League Echo that is uh, becoming more and more important and prominent to Marvel Publishing and perhaps Marvel Cinematic Universe and beyond. But Kang escapes there. Uh, he, he, he flees from them in the timeline, this extended battle where Moondragon, Thor, and Immortus are exchanging blasts. Kang is wearing his force field, and he says, You and the Avengers have kept the Celestial Donna for me. If it takes forever, I will destroy you fr- for it. And then he escapes through a portal, and Immortus says we have to travel and, and capture him. And this is the big twist, guys. And the cover of Avengers 142 literally, as a kid, blew my mind. You're like, a lot of things blew your mind, Life. Well, that's true. Comics are the best. Comics did it often. Why do you think I'm obsessed? This, this stuff never stopped. So let's pause and, and, and examine where comics were in 1975, 1976. Marvel Publishing was, was launching, not launching, they were pub- continuing to publish a full line of Western comics. If you were growing up in the late 60s, like I was, early 70s, like I was, cowboy Western shows were everywhere. Okay, you got Gunsmoke, you got Bonanza, you got reruns of Big Valley, you got The Virginian, you got Alias Smith and Jones, that there were Westerns on all the time. By offshoot, Little House in the Prairie is a Western. It's not a cowboy show, but it's a Western. Westerns were a big deal. Western heroes were a big deal. Marvel had an entire line of Western gunslingers, cowboys. They had the Rawhide Kid. They had the Two-Gun Kid. They had Kid Colt. 
and they had a character called Ghost Rider who would later be called Knight Rider. Okay? Knight Rider, yes. Knight Rider, uh, much the same as the car, the talking car with Kit television show in Hasselhoff, but this was not K-N-I-G-H-T. It's just night because he, he's, he's, he, he rides at night. They were the coolest. I bought all of these. I loved cowboy shows. I loved cowboys. I had cowboy toys. You'd go to amusement parks. Disney would have a line of, because they had a Western world. Come on. You'd go to Disney and you'd go to the Western theme park and there you'd buy cowboys and Indians. They had Daniel Boone. They had Davy Crockett. Remember, Westerns were huge. The genre of Western was bigger than the genre of of superheroes is now and it lasted for maybe 30 years okay it was the primary function of cinema to give you uh, cowboy stories and 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 when people in modern era have, have have embraced westerns they have had great success kevin costner dances with wolves open range you know the, the, we, we still love the western when it is done uh in, in a certain way obviously clint eastwood came of age in spaghetti westerns Okay, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, Outlaw, Josie Wales. Westerns were a big deal. The Marvel Western characters, which they created, which they owned, the Two-Gun Kid, Kid Colt, Rawhide Kid, and, and Knight Rider. Well, those four characters are on the cover of Avengers 142, trampling down the streets of a Western town facing Thor and Moondragon. And it's deceptive. They have Iron Man on the cover too. He's not in the story, but it made for a better cover if you penciled Iron Man in with them. And it says, no Marvelite, your eyes aren't deceiving you. It really is the Avengers versus the wildest Western heroes of all time. And Two-Gun Kid is riding furiously at them. Kid Colt is shooting at them. And Two-Gun Kid is saying, come on, partners, shoot him down. Highest possible recommendation. Highest possible recommendation. The, the name of this story, Go West, Young Gods finds the Avengers, uh, Thor and Moondragon with Immortus land in the wild, wild west. That's where the trail ends that they were chasing Kang the Conqueror. I just cannot give enough props to how brilliant this is. This could be a way. Again, why is Kang the Conqueror in any story? To disrupt time, it is a time travel story. There is never any other component. He has no political motivations. It is always about time travel. So if he is appearing in the MCU, he is going to be True to his comic book self, this is going to be a time travel yarn. Could we get cowboys? Would we get cowboys? Mommy, can we have cowboys? Little Robbie Liefeld is hoping that maybe not Ant-Man, but it's, it's I mean, there's, there's some stuff brewing there, okay? Maybe Ant-Man 3 opens the door for this. But the bottom line, and I think the presumption that we can come to right now is, if you've got Kang the Conqueror involved, in the same way that magic is creating the multiverse in WandaVision and then tethering directly to Doctor Strange. Well, you've got magic opening up multiverse portals and then you're going to get Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man 3. Okay, uh, you are further opening doors for anything to go. Anything goes. You can get anything out of this. Is this how the X-Men come into being? Is this how the Fantastic Four come into being? That Between the magic component and now the time travel component, that we have. And I understand that the, the Avengers went to great lengths in Endgame to travel time. And they laid out lo- their, their, their rules and and and, and it, it literally unlocked this Loki show, which is going to be about time travel as well. And who knows? Maybe we see Kang the Conqueror first in Loki. Maybe, maybe that's where we encounter him. But between the time travel components and the magic components, we are getting anything goes on, 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 uh, 
in regards to the Marvel Universe. It, it, I think there's nothing that isn't on the table. And why else are you doing, you know, somebody like Kang the Conqueror? And and so with uh, with with Jonathan Majors showing up as Kang the Conqueror, and who knows? Again, maybe it's in Loki because that's a time travel story. Maybe he then gets his big. Uh, he gets his his big showcase role in Ant Man Wasp Quantum Mania. Quantum Mania is what Ant Man Wasp number three is called. I I know that maybe this may not be it, but and I told you I didn't like to speculate, and I'm not really speculating here now. I feel like I'm wishing upon a star. These Marvel Western heroes are fantastic. Go West, young gods is Avengers 142, where Thor and Moon Dragon realize they could wipe out these cowboy characters in a minute because Thor has the powers of a god. But Immortus informs them who they are facing. Uh, Thor decides to bring down the lightning and the storm and show his powers, but they all eventually agree in a you know kind of three-page meet-cute where all four of them have their guns on Thor and Moondragon and Immortus. They, they agree to stand down and cooperate. Hawkeye is seen as being in this western town because he decided to follow Thor and Moondragon on a time platform in Avengers Mansion. He also engaged Kang and was fell with Kang through to this time, confirming that Kang was dropped off here in the west. They, they, they have already befriended Hawkeye, who is in the western town in a hotel room and is uh, has his bow and arrow, his shirt is off, He's adopting a different look now that he's in the wild, wild west with the two-gun kid, Kid Colt, the rawhide kid, and Knight Rider. Well, they, so he confirms, Kang's here. Well, what do they do? They, uh, they, they listen to Hawkeye as he recounts that he follows the outskirts of the town to this giant futuristic construct, this futuristic, uh, I mean, construct is the right word, maybe kind of a futuristic castle that Kang has erected on the outskirts of this western town. And so they then discover with the cowboy characters how they are possibly going to challenge, enter Kang's palace, and uh, gain access. And so we now get the, get, the, uh, get the cowboy heroes involved in a way that they're going to gain access into uh, Kang's palace. And they do so by dressing up as, uh, as kind of uh, traitors, T-R-A-D-E-Rs, like, like that, that none of them look, they, they, they don disguises and, uh, and they wander through the western town to the entrance upon which Kang allows them entrance. The, the doors are open. He is watching from his monitors. Kang loves nothing more than observing things from his monitors. It is the m- number one thing that he has done in the history of being Kang the Conqueror is he watches things from his monitor. So they enter. Now, 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 now this is this is Hawkeye, Thor, Moondragon, and the my favorite of all the Western guys, Two Gun Kid. Two Gun Kid's my favorite. They enter in these disguises. They have beards. Moon Dragon is dressed like a man because she's already bald to begin with, so she's dressed like a man. Um, and 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 again, they uh, they 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 gain access because Kang allows them to come in, and. They then, when the big monitor turns on and they are confronted by Kang, who's on a giant monitor, 
once they are inside the construct, uh, Kang uh, tells them, look, I know who you are. I know you're the Avengers. That's why I let you in. And, and you are going to feel the taste of my revenge, and it is going to be sweet. And Moondragon says, Revenge time, Lord. Revenge for allowing the course of history and events to proceed exactly as it was intended. Well, he's not having this, okay? So Kang immediately, upon them revealing themselves to be who they are behind their, you know, robes and, 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 and their, their, their cowboy jackets uh, and, and, and coats, uh, he sends them all into this free fall which looks looks to be a free fall free fall through like a time kind of dimension and when they land they are facing a giant monster and so what 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 while the monster battles two gun kid hawkeye and moon dragon the thor who is playing kind of a a he does not speak and he does not talk he uh gains access he's still in heavy disguise has his handkerchief has his um, his heavy hat, his long beard. He comes in, and Kang cannot believe that this guy has gained access. This is back when Thor had his ultra identity as Don Blake. This is who he is. This is Don Blake in disguise, not Thor in disguise, because he's slight, he's big. That's why Kang doesn't recognize him. He transforms into Thor. He takes the battle to him, but who turns on his super uh, uh, force shield but Kang, who is knocked around in his force shield by Thor, who is pounding on him with his hammer. But Kang is safe and continues to brag that his protective shield is made of a greater science than anything he can throw at him. But in order to stave off the relentless battle from Thor and his hammer, he overloads his uh, suit that is generating the protective field, increases the amount of fre the, the, the frequency and the power in order to protect himself from Thor's singular battle that goes on for several pages, and he disperses himself. He rips himself apart, which scatters across the timeline. At which point, Immortus appears to them, because it's very dramatic. George Perez, by the way, if I didn't say drew this issue, again, come on, George is the best. The depiction of this is fantastic as Kang is completely ripped apart. It looks like he's turning into, you know, he's stretching and morphing until he completely rips apart under what appears to be like a sonic effect. Immortus then appears and says, hear my words, because I will only speak them once. Ramatut suffered after his period with you, the Avengers. It came to him that despite his excellent intentions, his quest to undo the wrongs he had wrought as Kang had only resulted in the conqueror strengthening. The pharaoh had erred. Ramatut is a pharaoh, created by Stan and Jack. Time-traveling pharaoh, no less. Thus, after returning from the land of Limbo to his Egypt, he devoted himself entirely to a further understanding and to become the final master, the final master of time. Neither he nor Kang knew of this when they knew you, for Immortus was their last identity. Immortus is talking to them. Immortus me, this giant floating head talking to you, but since the last day I took this name, I have worked subtly, but increasingly, to bring about an ending to this menace. Kang no longer exists. Ramatut will never come to be. Neither shall I, Immortus, exist. And then Moondragon is, is crying, and at the end, the last panel says, Tombstone, Arizona, 1873, today and forever, there is one less God. And they put a pin in it. And that is how Kang was was defeated for years to come. He didn't appear in the Avengers for quite some time. They really did 
uh, kind of let him go. He had, it was this culmination in this, like I said, multi-year-long epic where he was pursuing through time. His younger self was teaming with the Avengers to battle his older self. And what is Ramatut? What is Immortus? I did not want to really get into this. This is the reason not to do a Kang the Conqueror storyline. But uh, Kang the Conqueror, again, has these giant ambitions. In this story, he hid in the wild, wild west. You, It was a way to team up the Avengers or some of the most popular Avengers with Marvel's most popular Western characters. It was a visual thrill for two issues. You had Kid Colt, Rawhide Kid, Knight Rider, and uh, Two-Gun Kid all teaming up with Thor, Hawkeye, and Moondragon. And it's a blast. It's, a, it's, a, it's just amazing to see because the Marvel Western characters are fantastic. They deserve to be revisited. They, they deserve to get a greater role in animation, video games, movies, whatever. But this final battle take place, taking place in the Wild West where Kang had hid himself and the great juxtaposition of the tombstone Wild Wild West and this giant futuristic construct, construct which is, I guess, Kang's citadel. Uh, and this final battle that takes place where Kang ultimately destroys himself, they finally kind of sealed the deal and put the... Uh, put the ending to this giant saga. Following the end of this Kang storyline, again, as I mentioned, he is gone for quite some time until he appears He appears in, as the face of this David Michelini novel in 1979 called, and it's, oh, I love this title, The Man Who Stole Tomorrow. For 111 pages of this novel, Kang does not appear, and it's only about a 200-page story. The Avengers are attacked by this giant... 12 foot polar bear this that, that that has kind of a mystical field around it. it attacks the mansion it just hands them their asses collectively defeats all of them thor iron man cap the beast scarlet witch and at once they all fall the bear dissipates and there is an old eskimo man and around his 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 um neck is this ornate kind of a this techno necklace with these different bulbs. And you see that as he touches each bulb, a different color comes up. And he, it turns out, has been summoning this. We think it's mystical, but now you find it's it's semi-technological. He is summoning this giant bear. Well, he leaves the Avengers, but he takes Captain America with him. The Avengers then have to fly back to Alaska to, to locate this ancient... Alaskan shaman who is going to kill Captain America. This is the group of Alaskans who found Captain America in ice back in Avengers number four when the Captain America is brought into the Marvel Universe when Joe Simon and Jack Kirby's Captain America is reintroduced. Well, Namor takes... He's pissed off at these Alaskans, sees them worshipping the frozen Stephen Rogers in his Captain America costume and he tosses the ice into the ocean and then from there on the entire thing for these Alaskan villagers goes terribly wrong goes terribly wrong in this history and they blame the fact that Namor uh Namor's desecration of 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 Captain America and throwing him back into the water where the Avengers would find him in their submarine okay this is how the story played out in the comic books this the Alaskans all of them suffered for all these years their, their, they, uh, their, their tribe suffered. They died off. They got diseased. Then one day, the Alaskan says, this man in the sky hovering above him with this cackle 
uh, offers him this necklace, which will grant him all these powers for him to exact his vengeance. And they once they've defeated the bear and they've defeated the man and they've, they they had to get the necklace away from him. It was so powerful in 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 what it could conjure and the power that it was, um, um, you know, emanating against the Avengers. Eventually, there's a tactic of which Beast jumps while the man is distracted and grabs the necklace off of him. The giant 12-foot powerful bear called Brother Bear. Brother Bear is dissipated, and that's when they get the confession out of the Alaskan man that this man uh, appeared out of nowhere, gave him this necklace, and, and told him exactly how to use it and who to use it against. And he exacted his vengeance and, and, and looked to restore... Uh, uh, his Alaskan people by taking this out on Captain America since he was thrown into the ocean by Namor all those years ago. And actually, I, I left out that Brother Bear does go to the bottom of the ocean and attack Atlantis successfully, and Namor's in this novel too, because there is nothing that Brother Bear can't do. He is powerful under the um, power of this Alaskan shaman and this technological ne- necklace. One, once the man explains to the Avengers who gave them this in great detail, the blue face, the purple helmet, they know it's Kang the Conqueror. Iron Man figures that he can use a sequence in the necklace to transport them to Kang's time where they go to the 40th century and uncover Kang and his, pl- his plan to conquer each and every timeline, century by century. And when he discovers the Avengers are onto him, and again, there's also there's there's the, the 40th century. Everything is made of plastic. Everyone is wearing plastic. Plastic is a currency. This is 1979. It was fascinating to read. People are wearing plastic clothing. They have plastic necklaces, plastic, plastic jewelry. Um, they are they are a society out of sorts. They are um, kind of extremely dim-witted and stupid. And maybe that was a precursor for what everything that we would we would see in science fiction to come. Um, and 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 the thing is that. When they finally confront Kang, he he laughs it off and says, I was just doing that as a joke. I was going through the timeline. I thought saw these silly Alaskans. I gave it to him, never thinking it would pull him off. He restores Cap because Cap is compromised by the damage that has done, the, the, the shaman has done to Cap. That's the number one reason they went back in time to encounter Kang. Kang immediately restores Cap, tells them to hurry on their way. Sorry that he bothered them. He never, ever thought that this was going to happen. It's very flippant. It's very Deadpool in the way that he talks to them. Again, clearly an early influence and uh somewhere between joker and deadpool with a technologically you know powerful this this most technologically powerful villain with this with this whimsical maniacal personality well iron man figures something's up he knows that 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 kang would never just completely comply with them and then send them on their merry way all of these buildings have kang on the on the building that's what i was going to say it's like a plastic las vegas this city that they encounter in the future in earth on earth no less and then a couple of these druggy uh, uh teenagers confess to them what kang had told them he was going to do which is the conquer each century you know, one by one, and that they have been conquered. He has, in fact, conquered them. And he did so by um, crashing them with this convergence of, of of timelines. And what happens immediately after, because now Kang realizes the Avengers are on to him in this novel, World War II biplanes, um, Sal- people from the Salem witch trials, Plymouth pilgrims, cavemen, and most importantly, you've got Civil War uh, uh, battalions, and most importantly, Tyrannosaurus Rex 
and pterodactyls attack. Dinosaurs crash. And so the Avengers are battling all of these things simultaneously in order to reach Kang and defeat him. Once again, it's a showdown of technologies, but ultimately they are able to best Kang, who is defeated, and much like he is in this Western novel, he is dissipated, and they believe that they have taken care of him and restored him. And the reason that I love this so much is there's no Ramatut, there's no Immortus, I've been denying this. I've been punting this down the podcast. I don't want to really embrace this, but I think it is a great, it's it, it's kind of a series of mistakes upon mistakes upon mistakes that Marvel perhaps regrets going as far as back as, as Stan and Jack, and I'll tell you why. Last year, Marvel Comics in 2020, they reprinted a bunch of their pinups in a handsome hardcover called Marvel Masterwork Pinups, and it was part of their 80th anniversary celebration. And if I go to early in the book, They've got all the early Stanley Jack Kirby pinups that they did. There's great Steve Ditko stuff in here, some John Romita Sr., but most of these are from different annuals and all the different pinups where Jack would just do 20 pages worth of pinups. You get several of those issues, and now you've got this you know 200-page coffee table book. A gallery of Fantastic Four's most famous foes, okay? Ramatut. It's a pharaoh with a laser gun, okay? It's a pharaoh with a laser gun. It's a killer Jack Kirby illustration, but let me read this to you. This Stan wrote this. He is credited as, a, as the writer. The art is by Jack Kirby and Chick Stone. It is futuristic Pharaoh. That is who Ramatut looks like. He looks like Yul Brenner in the Ten Commandments. If Yul Brenner had a laser weapon like Han Solo's sidearm in Star Wars. If you can here's here, here's here's the description of Ramatut, the Pharaoh of the future. If you can figure old Ramatut out, you're better than we are. He came from the future, landed in the past, and claimed to be a descendant of Doc Doom. However, as you'll see in this issue, we're not sure if he's related to Darlin' Doc or if due to some strange quirk of relativity, he is Dr. Doom himself. Well, let me put that down. And let me go back miraculously to a few weeks ago when we covered Dr. Doom. Okay, we co- <laughs> this is so insane. This is so insane. In the Doctor Doom story that tells his origin, okay, you guys, this there is a backup story where ta- where Doctor Doom is able to traverse time and space. Okay, and uh, he is traveling. It says right here, and this is like 1964, 1965. Doctor Doom is hurtling out into space towards an unknown destination following his defeat by the Fantastic Four. In this golden sphere that is above the Earth in space, a thought balloon says, Strange, that seems to be a human falling towards me from Jupiter. And Doom says, Only with the oxygen in my iron mask am I able to last for another three or four minutes. He is teleported into the golden sphere. Out, This is this golden sphere is... is, is Orbiting in space, we now know it's near Jupiter, and a voice comes as Doom is getting up from being teleported onto the Golden Sphere, and the voice says, I never expected to find another castaway out here in space. Well, boom, Ramatut enters. It's our Yul Brenner, Ten Commandments Pharaoh with a laser gun. But I like not the looks of you, he says to Doom. Make no rash move until you have explained your identity and how you came to be drifting through the void. And Doom says, I shall explain. Put your gun away. It will not affect me anyway. Awesome. So Doom says he was defeated and cast into space by the Fantastic Four. And for that reason, I shall spare your life, at least until I've learned more about you. Ramatut says, it can't possibly be. It must be part of some grand design, some master plan, for I too 
have good reason to hate the Fantastic Four because I am here because they defeated me as well. But the most incredible coincidence of all this is I come from the 20th century. I am a master criminal. I have committed crimes in many centuries using the time machine which I stole, which was supposed to have been invented by my great ancestor, Dr. Doom. He's saying this to Dr. Doom. He says, when the FF defeated me, I lived a thousand years in the past known as the Pharaoh Ramatut. It was they who made me flee, and I have been drifting in space ever since. And Doom then says, wait, it was I who built this time travel machine? What if, what if I am not your ancestor? What if I myself went to the future? This is Dr. Doom talking. What if you are me? What if Ramatut and Dr. Doom are the same man? And Ramatut says, you mean you have traveled to the 20th century, 25th century? took my name and might actually be me. And then Doom says, or perhaps they're facing each other, bewildered by each other, or perhaps during one of your trips to the past, you became the gypsy who would become Dr. Dr. Doom. We might be the same man living in two different ages. And then they both have a simultaneous word balloon because the stems go to both of them. So they're talking simultaneously. But if we're both the same man, how can we coexist at the same moment in eternity? If this sounds like a, a bit out of, out of Austin Powers, you're not alone. This could be Michael Myers looking at Michael Myers saying this stuff. But it's Stan and Jack, baby. And so then uh, Rama Tut says, Time is one of the greatest mysteries in life. Even the great 20th century scientist Einstein, I believe his name could not completely solve the enigma. Although he came close with his theory of relativity, we have been a more pressing problem. Working together, we will defeat the Fantastic Four. Doom says, no, we dare not attack them together. We are one and the same. If either of us is slain, then the other will perish. You cannot live in the future if you were slain in the past, and I cannot live in the present if I die, uh, if my other self dies at the same moment in eternity. So they are now plotting how they are going to work together to beat Reed Richards, okay? But the, the moral, the, 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 the juice of this story is that we have just been told that the futuristic pharaoh from the 25th century is is running around in a time machine that Dr. Doom built until Dr. Doom says, yeah, man, I haven't built that yet, and I don't think that's the case. I think you're me. And then they open that up. Well, guess what? They uh, they both, in the history of Marvel Comics, evolve and become Kang the Conqueror. Is your head spinning? It should. It is my least favorite part of this entire, entire um, um, character. It, it's the head spinning aspect of Kang the the conqueror, because they literally uh, um, include the fact that he has been both respective future and past selves, and and he has been Ramatut. He has aliases are Ramatut, Immortus, and the Scarlet Century Centurion. But Ramatut is now also claiming to be a descendant, if not in fact, the exact persona of Doctor Doom. Um. And, and so, so the way, I think Marvel, ultimately, the reason that Steve Englehart story happens is because he, uh, they were like, we're in over our head here. And, 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 and we have established way too many identities for this guy. How can he be all of these things at once? So Immortus is the later incarnation of Kang. Ramatut is the earlier incarnation of Kang. And at some point, they tether... A connection to Doctor Doom. Now, this has all been safely somewhat retconned. There's even been 
a council of Kang the Conquerors, a Kang the Conqueror core, if you will, that have served as his judge and jury. They have um, He has been sanctioned by the Time Council. They have done all sorts of crazy stuff. We're going to get off right here because none of it uh, is terribly appealing to me. It's all kind of gobbledygook, and it always makes me like Kang the Conqueror a little less. And from the same studio that said, no, Hank Pym is not making Ultron. Ultron will not connect to Simon Williams. There will be no Wonder Man connection. They can easily just give us a Kang the Conqueror that has one mission or has one tether, not multiples. Or maybe we're going to see Yul Brynner. Maybe we're going to see Pharaoh with a, with, with a laser gun. And we're going to establish that that was the earliest incarnation of Kang before he traversed time further, adopting this identity of Kang the Conqueror. Um, they, they call him in the, 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 the man who stole tomorrow. They call him a maniacal time thief. And, and I, I think that's probably the best way to look at Kang the Conqueror. But we have done an hour on Kang the Conqueror. You're probably, your brain needs a rest. My brain needs a rest. He's a time lord. He, he traverses through time. He sees celestial Madonnas who are supposed to give birth to cosmic beings and wants to desperately marry them. And then when they resist, he kills people. He killed some Avengers, swordsmen, okay? And other versions of himself team up against himself. The guy is a virtual, vertible, uh, one-man multiverse in and of himself. That stuff I just read you, that is Fantastic Four canon with Ramatut Space Pharaoh in his time travel machine that he picked up Doctor Doom who was floating near Jupiter and they both hypothesize how they are the same, one and the same. Again, in the history, Ramatut goes further into the future and adopts the persona of Kang the Conqueror. So Ramatut and Kang the Conqueror are the same dude. Immortus is an alternate version of Kang, and Kang used to be Ramatut, okay? Ramatut was Kang's original original alias. He retires as Kang the Conqueror, returns only to the Ramatut identity occasionally, <laughs> and uh, in order to defeat himself in the Celestial Madonna storyline, Okay. Um, he almost just says, you know what, fine, I'm going to be this Immortus guy. But he just can't because he's such a bad guy and he wants to be Kang. But the timekeepers sanction him. And again, he is, uh, the, 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 there, are, there are versions of him, uh, the, 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 the Time Council, the, 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 the Kang the Conqueror core. There's a whole bunch of him. Kurt Busiek did a really, really extensive story with Alan Davis in the early 2000s. Um, I just like... I like Kang the Conqueror. I think Time Lords are great. I think the possibilities that they represent are terrific. In The Man Who Stole Tomorrow, I loved that they involved the Alaskans that worshipped uh, Captain America and that, that they wanted Captain America back from the Avengers. And then he goes back down to Atlantis and, and assaults Namor. And then all the Avengers have to work together to get that damn technologically superior necklace off of him which for 111 pages, he is owning the Avengers. They then use that to go to the 30th century to confront Kang, who is trying to defeat each century one by one until, as the one lady says in the book, he will conquer every, literally be the conqueror of every century and be the conqueror of all time and space, be the ruler of all time and space, which is, I guess, bigger than humanity, okay? You're ruling entire timelines. So Kang has big ambitions. He Big ambitions. He should be a great character i have no idea where what they're going to do with him in the mcu but start continue where i started if he if he's coming into the story it is a massive time travel story could he be as big as 
Thanos? Could he be as big a figure? I believe he could. He has played a major role in the history of the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. I told you he even took over an issue of Hulk, where he needed Hulk to keep his own father alive. Otherwise, Hulk would not come to be, which would affect uh, uh, Kang himself. He's a heavy hitter. He's an A-list villain. He's a visual uh, treat, delight. Uh, he has all sorts of technological tools and abilities because that's when you when you come from centuries ahead of us, you have access to way more information, way more technology. I even used him in a cable profit crossover that I did in 1996 as a result of Heroes Reborn when we got licenses. When I got cable and profit, two of my creations together from two separate publishers, Cable, Marvel, and and profit from my publication at, at Maximum Press, I immediately enlisted Kang the Conqueror to battle them. That is how much I love him and prefer him. And I think he's going to have a major impact. I don't think he's... he's, he's they didn't get Jonathan Majors to make to, to do a minor play here. I think this is a big move. I think this is a potential big-time Thanos move. I, I believe that both, both Thanos and Doctor Doom are the... I'm, I'm sorry, Kang and Doctor Doom are the most important uh, bad guys coming into view in the Marvel Universe. And you can see where I've just told you they're connected. They have a they have a tapestry that weaves them together through this identity of Rama Tut, this this super this, this 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 time traveler that spent time in Egypt as a pharaoh because he time traveled there, but he's from the 25th century. And he's had conflicts with the Avengers and with the Fantastic 4 and he later took on the persona of Kang and he claims that his great ancestor is Doctor Doom. Woo! It's a mouthful. You guys, I can't believe I did it. I, I had pushed this off for weeks because of the complexity. I hope that we get Western heroes. We're going to wrap up here. I, ho I literally hope we get the Western heroes. I, I need to see this. I need Kang to open all the doorways so that in my when I'm in my 60s and starting to drool and things on my body are starting to numb, that I can truly enjoy, you know, all of the time travel and all of the different periods of the Marvel Comics history and, and they'll be casting uh, actors who are kids right now, right now, to play these cowboys. It'll be a new level of young guns, young guns in the Marvel Universe, whoever the Emilio Estevez or the Kiefer Sutherland of, you know, that time will be, they will be cast to be these kick-ass cowboy characters. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm crossing my fingers. To wrap up with the marketplace today, I get questions from you guys. You guys ask me about signatures. The signature market is heating up. You've seen it in the last... Uh, Stan Lee really opened it up in the last decade. Signatures, comic book signatures. Somebody said, what signatures do you get? I, in the comic book marketplace, get signatures of characters, uh, of, of creators who created the characters. I want, walk, I want Robert Kirkman to sign my Walking Dead and my Invincibles, not my copies of Jubilee that he did or his Captain America run. And if it's going to cost me, that's fine. You guys, I've been to these sports shows. I've seen... Um, 20 different Raiders from Jim Plunkett on down all charge different. Jerry Rice, because he was a Raider, he charges in the 300 range. I've seen Shaquille O'Neal, 200 for a jersey, 300 for a sneaker, uh, you know, 400 for a basketball or reverse it. Maybe it's 400 for the sneaker, 300 for the jersey and 200 for the basketball. Shaquille O'Neal, last time I looked, he has millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, as does all as do most of these giant sports athletes who, if you want access to their signature, are going to charge you a premium. I believe comic book creators are a great investment. I, I believe their their signatures are, gr are great investments. Would I want Todd's signature on the first appearance of Venom? I would. I absolutely would. D Dave Michelini, the same. Um, I believe that when you get the creator's signature, that matters the most. My Stan Lee comics 
have Stan, Stan sign my Spider-Mans, my Fantastic Fours, the ones that in, in, in introduced Black Panther, the Inhumans, Silver Surfer. That's the stuff that I was most interested in getting Stan Lee to sign. And when I have gone to Neil Adams, I have paid Neil Adams whatever he's asking because I want him to sign my Rezaz Ghoul, my Ms. Mystic, okay? Stuff that I know that he created. I invest in the signatures. I feel it's the best investment rather than getting so-and-so who did a Superman story. Um, the guys who created Superman, they're not available to us. They're long past. The guys who created Batman are long past, obviously. But... I pursue the guys who created the characters. That's where my interest lies. I, 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 I have Roy Thomas sign Conan number one. My vision, num- the first appearance of the vision. That's how I connect signatures. You may just want to get everything signed by whomever it is, your favorite penciler who drew your favorite comic. My favorite Spider-Man comic was not drawn by Steve Ditko. It was not written by Stan Lee. I've said this repeatedly. Len Wein, Roy Thomas, Gil Kane, those are the guys that did my favorite Spider-Man stories. But I, there is no Spider-Man without Stan Lee. And, and had Jack been alive uh, uh, for me to recognize, you know, I would have had him sign a whole bunch of stuff. But when I hung out with Jack, I didn't have him sign anything on any occasion at any conventions or any visits to his house I, uh, other than the artwork that I purchased from him. But certainly, in retrospect, I wish I had him sign all my earlier Fantastic Four, X-Men, all that stuff. That's, that's how I draw... A direct line. <clears throat> I go after the creators of the characters, the the, the 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 people who are the creators of those characters. That's the signatures I want. That's the stuff that I value the absolute most. So, do I buy signatures? I do. Do I trade for them? I have. Um, will I continue to? Absolutely. You know, are there many more that I have to hunt down? Uh, I, I kind of have the stuff that I want. Do I have Kevin Eastman's signature on tar- turtle stuff? I do. He made the turtles. And, and so, so when I am able to, I am able to secure it. Is it my great regret that I never had Steve Ditko sign anything? I never had any access to him. Otherwise, you bet your bottom dollar I would have. So, so the marketplace today, we're doing this quick. I get inundated with signature questions. I believe my signature is valuable. I believe the creator's signatures are, val- are valuable. I believe if Shaquille O'Neal signing your basketball is of value, then my signature and the signature of Robert Kirkman and, of course, that of Stan Lee, and of Todd McFarlane, I believe those signatures are of value. So that is where I stand. That is a quick market watch. But today was complicated. Kang the Conqueror. Woo! I am going to go lay down. I am going to get some rest. My head hurts. Kang the Conqueror, Ramatut, Doctor Doom, Immortus. It, that is one packed candy bar. Okay? That's got like nuts, pretzels, chocolate, and, and chewy nougat. N-U-G-A-T. They used to put it in everything. It was chewy. N-U-G-A-T. So anyway, guys, whew, this was this 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 was a chore. There is a reason I had to work up to Kang the Conqueror. I've done it. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit it when, when it all comes together. Please just find me on social media. Hang out with me there. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. I am all over Facebook. I'm all over social media. I'm easy to access. I love talking to you guys. Take care of yourselves, okay? You guys need to stay safe and uh, and be good to each other. Be good to yourself. Stay out of trouble. And we're going to talk again real soon. Mm-hmm.